Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. They're incredible sheets. They're incredible bed sheets that were inspired by NASA. They use silver-infused fabrics and make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature. And let me tell you a little something about myself. When I first moved to New York City, I essentially went to a corner bodega, bought a set of sheets that were made out of what felt like cardboard, and that's what I slept on for like years. I thought, I guess I thought I just wasn't even worth more or like, I just didn't even know that comfort was possible. And then I started like actually realizing like, oh, I don't have to live like this and buying actual sheets that made sense. And truly the temperature regulating property of these NASA inspired sheets by Miracle Made are like the apotheosis of adult living. Like you can live with comfort, with temperature regulating. The funny thing is I thought temperature regulating was just like something you had to just deal with your whole life. That There was no sheet that could help you with that. Your body just went through wild temperatures and that just, you know, sucked and you had to just deal with it. But you don't have to deal with it because you can get miracle made sheets. They're self-cooling for better sleep. They're also, this one's really fun and it's actually really important for my husband, they're self-cleaning because they're infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. And because of that, it's designed for your skin. So it stops the bacteria so it doesn't clog your pores and it doesn't cause as much, you know, breakouts and acne, which is a big problem for my husband. Since we started using Miracle Made, my husband has just had way less of the breakouts and the clogged pores. And like I said, they're just like, luxurious. Um, They're designed for a person who's graduating from the cardboard sheets of their youth. (laughs) Graduate from those, you guys. So go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's T-R-Y, trymiracle, M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash fake the nation. And at the checkout, use the promo code fake the nation and you'll get three free towels and you'll save an extra 20%. And Miracle's so confident in their product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you're going to get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code fakethenation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for regulating my body temperature at night uh, with the sheets. I really love them. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation presenting Succession Recaps. I'm your host, Nikine Farsad, and we are dissecting HBO's hit series, Succession, because you're the scorpion and I love you, but you kill me and I kill you. And so today, we will tackle season four, episode seven, titled Tailgate. Don't be confused. This is still the FTN feed, and you will get your regular episode of Fake the Nation on Thursdays. But on Mondays for the next three weeks, we will be doing this bonus Succession Recap pod. The panel today, folks, it's as shocking as a giant tub of kettle corn in a Manhattan penthouse. We have joining us the artist, 
The filmmaker, a resident uber wealth expert who has a taste for billionaire kettle corn, it is the incomparable Danielle Derschlag. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Nagin. It's the only kind of kettle corn I'll even look at. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> we also have with us a world-class man of the gab with whom I've had the pleasure of yucking it up on the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me panel, but he is most known as senior video editor for the New York Times, and his status as a connoisseur of cool immediately made me want to hear his succession punditry. It is the one and only Shane O'Neill. Oh, Nagin, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so good to meet you, Danielle. Great to Um, meet you. Now, what folks don't know is that I had... Uh, emailed Shane when when we knew we were going to do the show, and uh, and I said, "Have you? Uh, do you? Are you a fan of Succession? I really want to hear your thoughts." And he said, "I am. I'm behind. Let me catch up." So he did some Succession cramming <gasps> so that he could join the show. That's what a dedicated Succession head Shane is. That's you how much I, mean? I love you so much, Nagin. I will subject myself to watching a TV show. I love. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you just how far behind I was, though, Nagin? No, I want to know. I, well, I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to feel bad if it was a big assignment. <laughs> well, I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want you to be like, no, I want someone who watches the show. I had seen the pilot and nothing else. <laughs> <gasps> This is incredible. So why hadn't you stuck with it? So I have a I have a strange relationship with television shows where it's like it, it's hard for me to get into it alone. I need someone else right. to watch it with. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, the, the uh, Succession had just come out when a friend of mine had surgery, and I was in Wisconsin, help like just sort of like picking things up for her when she couldn't lift things. So we were binging all sorts of TV shows, and I was like, Succession, let's watch it. We'll love it. And uh, we watched the first pilot, and she was like, I don't care about these jerks. I don't, I don't want to watch these assholes be assholes to each other. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll catch up with it later. And then I never did. And then it became one of those things that hangs over your head where you're just like, well, it's too late. I'm never going to watch Succession. Until and then, your podcasting friend honestly, <laughs> forces I, I have, you into it. I owe such a debt of gratitude to you because I, I adore mean. the show. And also, I finally feel almost like caught up with the zeitgeist, which I never feel. So it feels great. Feels great. Hooray! In the game. Hooray! <laughs> well, before we get into it, if you've enjoyed this pod, and let's say you also enjoy the Thursday regular pod, you can get more pod at patreon.com slash Your support of the show means so much. And for doing that, you get bonus episodes. Um, for as little as $4 a month, you get two bonus episodes of the show. Uh, it is um, a really fun show. Uh, don't forget last week we had on Isaac Mizrahi. Isaac Mizrahi, who has also been on the regular Thursday Fe- Fake the Nation. Those are the kinds of people we have on the show, not to brag. Also the kinds of people, Danielle and uh, and Shane. So but let me ask you just your first brief thoughts. I'm going to do a, a, a formal summary, which is which is very formal, as you know, as you can see, I put on a tiara for that. Mm. But um, before we get into that, let me know your just first blush ep- um, reactions. Mine were that you know this. I love that they put a lot of episodes in one location. I mean, there's like a couple on this one, but it was focused mostly on one location. It really, that farcical element of like, in this room, this is happening, and then the door closes, and then these bastards are talking. It's I, I can't get enough of that, and it's hard, I think, to pull that off in a really like dynamic 
um, propulsive way when it comes to TV. Yeah. Um, and they, but they pull it off every time. And so, um, so that is one thing uh, that I loved about this episode and that I love about the show in general. Uh, Danielle, where were you? I was really ensconced in my own sense of uh, personal political rage for the majority oh, of this episode. Yes. Um, you know, we'll get more into it, but I just felt like this is the day before a terrifying election in the world they're presenting to us. And how little that impacted the characters in that party really got me this time. The claustrophobic kind of sense of filmmaking was really successful. And man, did I walk away even angrier about our politics. I consider that a success. Uh, Shane, how'd you feel? I don't know. It seems like a pretty functional way to choose a president to me. I, I <laughs> Yeah, I got to say my schadenfreude was at an all-time high and my empathy was at an all-time low. I mean, this this was just like <laughs> so every time something bad happened to someone I was like, "Too bad," you know, like so that was that was great. And I agree. I think that I obviously I do love the show. Um and however, I do think it's kind of a sacred cow. I think there are problems with the show that we don't talk about. And one of them is that it really is like a tell don't show show a lot. There's a lot of times when a character comes on and tells you something that happened off screen that we don't see. So I agree that uh, having them all sort of almost a bottle episode like this is so great. And the farcical is just the right word, Nagin, like where you're just like, oh, no, what if they find out they're running? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Which, which is really great to watch. Um, and I also just the, the I, I think about it from the writer's dilemma of like these people have so much access to space that how do you get something where people are, are looking for privacy and having a hard time finding privacy? So just the setup of them like having having to be close to one another in this palatial house. I just I just really loved it. I thought this was a great one. And also, I'm just so fascinated with the psychosexual dynamic between Tom and uh, Shiv that I loved that that was really center stage on this oh, episode. Oh, and totally. we fucking get into it. Uh, but let's quickly do a summary. Um, we start the episode with Tom and Shiv back together hosting the election eve tailgate party. Uh, to start the day, Tom gifts Shiv a scorpion, you know, because of the universal symbolism of scorpions for gentle love. And still, <laughs> it's unclear if Tom knows that Shiv is pregnant. Also before the party, Greg has been tasked with Waystar layoffs and he liked it because he possibly has no gooey to his center. And we also see the Sibs play Plus Connor meet at the Jean Georges in Trump Tower? Question mark. Oh, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, and they're there to talk about Dad's funeral and who will be doing the talking. But the party is the main event, and it's full of classic American canapes and the who's who of the conservative movement. But as Kendall points out, hey, they're not all crypto fascists and right wing nut jobs. We also have some venture capitalist Dems and some centrist ghouls. Dad's ideological range was wide. The Sibs have asked Shiv to invite Nate, her old flame because they can't get Matson on price. Maybe they can fuck him on regulatory stuff. Shiv has also gone all in on Matson. Make sure that he's also at the party um, to kind of counter the regulatory stuff. Connor is still in the race, and despite the fact that his 1% to 4% in Alaska could spoil the vote for Mencken, and despite the fact that Mencken is offering him the ambassadorship of Oman for him and his Woman, he is sticking to his guns and not dropping out of the race. Connor and Willow by the way, are maybe in the healthiest relationship of the entire show. We'll get to that. Eva, Madsen's 
blood recipient spills the beans to the sibs that basically Matson's numbers are wildly inflated. India's subscriber data would be right if India were two Indias. Shiv freaks out, tries to get some comfort from Tom, but Tom would love to get some love from Shiv. They have the most epic fight on a notably sound-sealed balcony. It is a brutal, brutal relationship-ending fight. Kendall makes a play to Frank basically saying... I'll leave my siblings in the dust if we go reverse Viking and acquire Gojo with him as the sole CEO, one head, one crown. So, okay, now I I I uh, I, I really want to get to the Tom and Shiv stuff, but I first feel like we need to have a little bit of an amuse bouche, just like get in there, warm ourselves up. So let's start with something a little lighter. Um, is Connor the normal one? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the incredible comedian Carolyn Casiglia texted me and she's like, I feel weird that I identify with Connor. Um, and it is a weird, it's a weird position that the writers put us in, um, that we then feel like Connor's such a such a great normal dude. I mean, you know, when you watch anything, I think we're trained to be like, I'm such a Samantha, oh, I'm a Carrie, and you you're, you train yeah. yourself to identify. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I've sort of been trying to do that this whole time of watching it. And uh, usually my conclusion is like, well, they should all be slaughtered. Like, I hate them all. But I will say that Connor, at least, the thing that I've, I, I have such a hard time with, with, um, uh, with, with the three other children. And Danielle, you on the podcast really illuminated this for me because it hadn't occurred to me that, like, they are facing pressure from, they were facing pressure from their dad not to individuate. That I was just like, why don't they just fucking you know, open a cafe somewhere or something, right. or, you know, like, like start, you know, start a leggings line. I don't know, you know, just to do something other than what this is. But I, I hadn't really realized how much pressure that, that he was under. So anyway, all that is just to say that Connor, I relate to the most just in terms of he's the one who's just like, fuck it, I'm going to New Mexico. I'm just going to like chill out and want nothing to do with this corporation. Um, so I guess in that sense, he's the most relatable. Um, he also just seems to be like, you know, um, although Tom is the Midwest representation on the show nominally, um, mm. Connor seems to to jive most with my Midwestern sensibilities of like, it's more important to be nice than to be good. Like, it's more important to just get along than it is to like do the right thing. So I guess I relate to those things um, more than anyone else. But um, let's be drilled. But the, the, these people are all damaged beyond repair and awful. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> um, you know, is Connor the normal one? In what context? Connor is normal for no other human beings, perhaps, than the ones in this very dark, macabre party, right? The thing I would say about him and Willa, the reason why our hearts soar a little bit at their dynamic, a dynamic that's been purchased, I can't say that enough times on this podcast, um, is because they're not sadists with each other. Yes. Yeah. This is a, this is a culture of intimacy where intimacy is crafted through sadism, they're one couple who's doing it a little nicer. It doesn't make them ethically better overall, I would say, than these other people because the impacts on America, democracy, and the world from that couple are still quite negative and scary. But they're nicer about it. They don't just put each other down. Um, I think it speaks a lot to the kind of illness of this culture that we're watching on this show, that that counts as pretty great just basic niceness between two people who sleep together is really a rarity on the show. And that tells you a lot that you need to know about who this people are and what this culture is about. I would add honesty to that. I mean, Tom is a yes. little bit, he's a little bit coercive and a little bit manipulative with her, which is always really awful to watch. A but... little bit, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, I guess I'm revealing myself. Um, but like, the, um, <laughs> I feel like the, that, that, uh, 
there's still a sort of basic honesty to it where, you know, he's he's never just like, you must tell me you love me. He's just like, come on, how about me and some money? And she's like, uh. And I, I always really admire that about Willa, too, is that, like, she doesn't take the bait the way I feel like I would in her position when he's like, do you love me? I feel like I'd be like, of course I do. And then, you know, I don't know, go self-harm somehow. But, she, you know, <laughs> she, she just sort of says, like, like maybe I will, you know, like, or like, I'll be happy or right. like, don't worry about it. I can't remember what her response was. Um, I also just want to throw out there that like an industry secret of the sex industry is that a lot of times clients do become more than clients. And a lot of times among sex workers, someone that has hired them, they yeah. take on relationship dimensions, not often to, I think, this degree. Um, but I did sort of appreciate that, like that element of it, people frown upon. But I it seems to me not as I've never been a sex worker, um, but it just seems like this seemed like a realistic way that I can understand how that framework happens. Um, mm, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because like I have someone who's sort of in the field adjacent or whatever, and um, and there is a lot, there is a blurring of the social and the business, you know, um, for sure that I feel like totally goes on. Um, quick question: the in the few in the scene where. <laughs> By the way, it makes me crazy when people like meet at a just a gorgeous restaurant and no one orders any food. Oh my oh god! Oh my Nikki. god! <laughs> I, 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 oh, the, the, I, can you imagine being the waitstaff watching these fuckers just sit there in the middle of John George at Trump Tower ordering nothing? Ordering, oh my god! It was it was the Jean Georges, right? I didn't actually verify yes, this, but a friend is, told me, and I was so, like, so, okay. So for for people who know New York and know New York wealth culture, Jean George inside Trump Tower, perfect place for this meeting. Exactly correct, right? And it's it is lovely. I would like to. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I actually have never set foot inside the uh, Trump Tower, or any of the Trump locations. But uh, that said, it was lovely. Wait, Danielle, why is that? I, I don't really know anything about Jean George. So Jean George, you know, first of all, there, there's been a lot of sort of uh, discourse amongst the one percent, the kinds of folks who go to Jean George, and I have to say, the raw tuna appetizer, unbelievable. Ooh, okay, just to say, okay. but uh, but you know, but so I have been there, of course, because from a one percent family, my parents took me once on a visit in New York. Basically, you know, it's uh, it's not easy necessarily to get into that restaurant, and it's really where the high powered kind of corporate and media elite of New York City tend to congregate. It's also where Trump brought Mitt Romney to humiliate him publicly when Whoa. Mitt was going up for a job in the administration. Oh, that's right. I remember that. It yeah. has a kind of, let's say, vaguely right-wing political power kind of vibe in that room. I don't think that was chosen uh, mistakenly here. Yes, that's so cheeky. Well, uh, it's it, it, also, I just want to say, um, you mentioned... Um, Danielle, like about the you were you were upset about the politics of the episode yes. um, where I thought you were going with it is that you got flashbacks because they gave us enough of like real humanity through the sort of Rava and Willa and all that stuff that I was reminded of the feelings of 2016. Yes. And I was like, ew, first of all, I don't want to remember. But like, <laughs> anyways, here we are with three episodes of we're going to really fucking remember. Um, so in that Trump Tower uh, th nod is 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 just another way that the show is like forcing me into um, a fucking uh, really unpleasant memories. Well, I just also want to remind you, Nagin, forget not ordering, which is a great a great thing. They had twelve delicious pastries on that table that no one touched. No one, N not no a one single touched. person touched them. 
I just wanted to sweep them into my purse and walk out of that restaurant. And I was like, can we also just say that when you're a pregnant woman, I fucking ate whatever. I didn't have any (laughs) rules. So the idea, and like also like you do get like kind of, I would get like unreasonably hungry in a moment. So the idea that Shiv, first of all, didn't even take grab a croissant for her purse for later. Because as we established in the last fucking episode, she doesn't ever fucking carry a purse because she's got handlers. But the fact that she didn't gesture to a handler to take a croissant for later, I was offended by all of that just as 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 a woman. <laughs> well, the thing is that if you're pregnant and you're pretending to do cocaine, then you're pretending to not be hungry, and then it just all, you it's know. It's all right, right. Wait, pretending to do cocaine. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Jesus, right. Yeah. That's true. Right. Okay. I'm just hoping she she probably has Pringles or something in the in the limo. Um, okay. It's definitely Pringles. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's <laughs> no, notably what billionaires like to go to when they do potato chips. Um, well, so let's get into it. We're on Shiv. We're on her non-cocaine uh, snorting habits. Um, let's talk about what's going on with them. I mean, it was sort of like it's. I mean, the scorpion in the morning. Um, it was such a great way to start the day because it was like, oh, you're back together. Oh, this party, we're going to tell everybody. We're going to tell everybody we took a little break and then we're back. And this party is a little, you know, sign of that. And. It's totally fine. But also, here's a scorpion. So it was like immediately troubled the stability um, that they're that they're trying to project to each other. Um, and then, of course, they have, you know, and then we sort of see the unraveling. The other thing I want to point out, they really went hard on Tom being tired. And um, and I just want to be like, Tom, wait for it. You're not even a parent yet. But um <laughs> When Tom, the the thing with Tom being tired, I just also like want to remind everybody that motherfucker has been on like several private jets in the last like four days. Like how long? It's been like less than a week, I think, since um, Logan died. So everyone's tired. I mean, two things. Number one, what a brilliant callback to the pilot, which where we see Tom just agonizing over a gift and the gift is just like goes over like the fucking Titanic. So yeah. I loved being like, wow, there's an entire episode that could be on the cutting room floor of Tom deciding on the scorpion because we know he doesn't take this lightly and we know that he's obsessed with like the symbolic signifiers here. So I loved the fact of yeah, like- Yeah, so and, and you're referencing him buying a gift for Logan for his birthday in the pilot, right? Exactly, yeah, yes. the watch. Yes, the watch. The watch that Logan does not give a shit about and then gives yeah. to the uh, the person as hush money, basically. Correct. So, yeah. so I just love that it's like, oh, you think you've come so far, Tom, but you are still an outsider in this family and you can still try as hard as you want, but like you're always going to be a little bit off. And also, as far as him being tired, the closet is an exhausting place, Nagin. <laughs> you know... <laughs> It's interesting because um, Isaac Mizrahi, who I like to just reference casually now. Do you know Isaac Mizrahi? He's just one of my regular podcasting buds. Incredible, incredible. Um, But he was also talking about um, Tom being in the closet. And this is funny because uh, it's it's not something that has been on my radar. But now that 
that Isaac put it on my radar now that you're mentioning it, I actually have talked about it with a couple of other people who were like, totally. And so I was like, oh, is my my gaydar off that I didn't notice that I that, that wasn't? Yeah, I got Midwest. I got so Midwesterned by him uh, that I really didn't. You know what I mean? Like it just wasn't on my on my radar. But Shane, well, has, McGean, that, has that been a I, thing for you? I think I this I, whole I don't. one week that you've watched the entire <laughs> <laughs> series. <laughs> it took me several weeks, but no, Nagin, I don't. I don't want to. I don't know your life. I don't mean to judge you, but I think I may have slept with more closeted Midwestern men than you have. I think. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, 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 interesting. It's just. Right. Yeah. It's just a guess. I don't know. Um, but uh, no, there's definitely. He's got sugar in his tank. Like I, you know, and I, I would say closeted might not even be the right word, or closeted is the right word. But like, you know, bisexual. He seems to genuinely enjoy his relationship with um with Shiv and one of the I gotta say one of the few humanizing things that happened on this show is I was like oh I love that he was so his sexual uh experience that he has at the club with uh who, the woman who ends up being uh Roman's girlfriend I oh, love yeah. that he was oh, just yeah. like that was cool I was like he's an adventurous guy I think behind the scenes um but yeah no yeah. there's there's something about his performance and there's there's I mean people have dissected this online too there's tiny little like implications but like yeah I think I think he is interested in um masculinity in his sexual partners as well as femininity and I think he's interested in I think he's interested in the practical and the romantic. Yes. I think he mm-hmm. wants to, I I just think he wants Shiv to be like, I'm going to make sure you will run ATN for as long as you want to. That's all he wants to hear from her money-wise and career-wise. And I love you. Like, right. I just, and, I'm, and I want to be nice to you. And I want to <laughs> think of you. You know what I mean? Like, and it's so... It's it's oddly simple what he wants, I think. And I don't e- and even though he's got he does so much manipulation and there's so much jockeying and pow- power vying and all this stuff from him, I do believe there's an earnest thing that he wants from her. And I you know, and that he and that he has like honest feelings for her, but also sees a practical end game with her. Danielle, what was your take? Oh, my God. What a fucking mess. I mean, I guess, you know, I do think that what's fascinating and brilliant about this final scene, um, the final sort of speaking scene of the episode, when we're seeing these two really go at each other for what I suspect is the first time in their entire relationship, really scream what they're really feeling. What so struck me about that fight, I don't know if you two felt this way, is that everything both of them says is true. Everything. Yeah. It is true that Tom is partly fucking her for her DNA. Yes. It is true that he also loves her. It is true that she was casually willing to send him to be an incarcerated person. It is true that he volunteered for that. Nothing <laughs> stated on that balcony is actually false. But all of these points together in a kind of stew that creates their marriage, their dynamic, yeah. it's just really tragically impossible to view that as healthy. That's what that conversation does. And if I can pull back from like a filmmaking perspective, this episode did something so fucking brilliant, which is that in the scorpion scene, they're shot in the same shot, meaning we see both bodies on that sofa together, heads close to each other. From the moment they hit that balcony, you will not see both their faces in a shot. 
There's a reason for that because we're really seeing that at the end of the day, after all of the kind of, I would say, grief-enhanced stooping, if I may use that phrase, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. after all that grief-enhanced stooping, we're seeing two people that are in such separate boxes, quite literally, in their feelings, in their understanding of what's happened, that there's probably not a way for reconciliation. They really don't share the screen again from the moment they hit that balcony. That's some very smart filmmaking to visually remind us of how broken these two people are together. Also, long, long, narrow balcony. Oh, but yes, but, but <laughs> I will. I, Nikita, I had the same thought, but if you go to an early, I checked this, at an earlier scene, they yeah. do shoot people in the same shot on that okay, It's possible. Okay. It, it, it is. It's definitely possible. And you have to put them together, closer together, which I think would have been right. really hard for the scene. So, you know, all right. of that is true. But also, <laughs> again, like as a filmmaker, I watch these fucking, some of these scenes and I just start like sweating because I know the setup for that particular thing is so irritating. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, like to get the camera to elegantly sit in the thing. And like, you know, someone was like basically leaning over to their death to like hold the thing in the right Correct. place. <laughs> and it's uh, it's yeah. so difficult. Anyway. Um, you also know it's two o'clock in the morning. Nadine. And you also know it's two o'clock in the morning and that everybody's so tired. And then the, and then the just the previous day they were shooting daytime. So no one has basically slept. And uh, right. anyway, so it's it's what they're able to do um, when when there's so many practical pressures just on a production is really remarkable to me. Okay, you know what? We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I have more questions. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Ugh, folks. I mean, first of all, it's a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel unwanted subscriptions and it monitors your spending and it helps you lower your bills. But that's Headline news, okay? What it has done for me, it has reminded me of the absolute ridiculous world of things that I have subscribed to. And why have I subscribed to them? Why have I wasted my money in such a way? And thank God that Rocket Money has come around to show me that, hey, Nagin, you don't need a subscription to an obscure Brazilian film archive, do you? One of the things that it found for me once that was really upsetting was that I was paying for a subscription twice. It was an educational app. And you think an educational app isn't going to do you that way, but you know what? It might. It also lowered a bill for me. Lord, my cable bill. Yes, I still pay for cable. Don't worry about it. And then the other great thing is when you are trying to get rid of these subscriptions, you just do it with one tap. You don't have to like call customer service or whatever, all the other miserable things that you do when you're trying to get rid of a subscription. It just does it with one tap. That's one of the actually best things about it because I've had such a hard time in the past trying to unsubscribe from something myself. It lowers your bills for you by up to 20%. 5 million users. It has helped save an average of $720 a year, which makes sense for me because that's about as much as, that's about what I was saving. And with over $550 million in canceled subscriptions, that's what they've achieved. I mean, you've heard me talk about Rocket Money before. It has really improved my relationship with subscriptions. I'm going to just tell you that much. So stop wasting your money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Guys, cancel those unwanted subscriptions at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. 
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Thank you to Angie for sponsoring this HeadGum podcast. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Indeed. So if you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Yeah, doing stuff yourself seems fun, but then you actually get to uh, you know, solving a problem and you realize that mm-hmm. you can create 10 more problems and then you probably should have just paid a, yeah. a professional to deal with it right off the bat. You can easily injure and or maim yourself as well. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. You just get the app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. It's very convenient. It sure is, folks, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. So download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Thank you, Angie. Angie.com. Thank you. We want to tell you about a podcast we think you're going to love. It's called See the Thing Is, and it's hosted by Grammy Award-winning R&B artist Bridget Kelly and media personality Mandy B. Every week, Bridget Kelly and Mandy B offer grown, honest, and slightly toxic perspectives on all things music, pop culture, and of course, dating and relationships, which was my fave. Do you have a hard time finding new music? Are you a millennial who misses what life was like in the 2000s? Are you interested in multiple perspectives on relationships? and dating? Are you interested in a non-male bashing podcast that holds both sexes accountable? See, the thing is, is a podcast that allows space for a wide range of thoughts and emotions. Most recently, the ladies sat down with Big Frida and Chloe Bailey and just huge names. Van Lathan, who's one of my favorite people to listen to to chat about movies. So the conversations they're having are phenomenal. Join Bridget and Mandy every week as they update you on everything going on in the world with their polarizing hot takes. Subscribe to See The Thing Is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Friday. What do you think of this claim, um, Shane, where she says, you took away the last six months I could have had with my dad? Um, I, this, this thing, she's come back to this of we killed him and this time and all this stuff. Like we were, we put him on that plane. She, she's, she kind of is a little bit more I don't know, hung up on that than the other siblings seem to be. What do you think, Shane? I think he was damned if he did, damned if he didn't. I mean, what I took from that was just that, like, 
this is the diff this is the problem with a family run company is that there's nothing he could have done in that situation that she would have respected because mm. the, ostensibly from Tom's point of view I think he's like well the only rule in this family is to be ruthless and to like jockey for power and so I'm sure in his mind I could imagine him being like it's an act of love for me to stay close to Logan during all of this so that I can like maintain Shiv's position and share information and all of this and I feel like if, if one of her brothers had done that she would have forgiven it or understood it. I viewed that as her just being like, you're never going to be one of us. And I feel like that was sort of the theme of this entire fight is like, you're never going to be, uh, you're always going to be an outsider. That was the whole theme of this whole episode for Tom, for, as far as I'm concerned, is that like, there's this machination where even if you play by all of their rules and are just as ruthless and brutal and cruel as the entire system is, if you're not born into it and you're not like, you're not born, you know, on third base, it's just like, they're never going to accept you as one of them. That's what I took to, for, from that. I, that is so true. And can I add one quick thing that I noticed from wealth culture in this episode that relates to this specifically? Once you enter a family wealth system, especially the one that's kind of, you know, still around a single business, I know someone in this position, a husband who married into such a family. Once you've been their employee in any capacity alongside being a spouse, that will never end. So even if they only paid you for six months, right? You came in and you married so-and-so and for six months you said, oh, sure, I'll do the family accounting. I'm an accountant, whatever. You're done. Culturally, you're an employee until your death. One of the things that Tom couldn't have known entering this system is that even though it would afford him this incredible, in quotes, career, by affording him that career, by the family paying his salary, he has absolutely given up any dream of equality. It's done. He's an employee until his death. Yes. I, mean, I would also toss in there, Nagin. I think that, that Siobhan is also doing just like um, bargaining, magical thinking, grief thinking. That she's just like, <laughs> yes. that she's just like, no, da daddy would have been, daddy would have taken me to the ice cream parlor if only this one thing. Right. Which... It's like you wouldn't have seen your dad for those six months anyway. You right. know, like it would, you, you would have had like three dinners with him and you wouldn't have had a real conversation and it would have been weird and you would have been annoyed and there would have been something, you know what I mean? And that would have been it. And this is dark, but I, I have a personal memory of this because I dealt explicitly. I, I've lost several friends to like addiction and I remember being like oh if only I had reached out we could have had like final wonderful months together I'm like no they would have just been the same scheming lying horrible end stage you know what I mean like he, right. you, but you, in your head you're convinced like oh if I had just done this one thing we could have right. had more time together right. and that's right. sort of what I'm seeing is that she's just like well if you had gotten out of my way daddy and I would have had a wonderful time at the Ren Fair or whatever <laughs> Logan at so the Ren Fair, Logan everybody. Logan and Shiv both just put throwing on their uh, ruffles and petticoats and go to the Ren Fair the way they did, all the way they always did. Let's get Let, a big let's turkey Let's talk to like another um, sort of uh, pseudo uh, employee or freelancer of the um, Waystar Empire. Let's talk about the Kendall and Rava scene. Um, I thought this was a really sort of crazy and funny way to start the show. And this is one of those moments where they're bringing us back into the world where right. Rava's representing the rest of the planet, um, reminding Kendall about, oh, by the way, Kendall ha still has those two children. Um, they're still around. <laughs> um, and and she basically points out to him that the kid, the girl is having a hard time at school because uh, – 
people hate of him. ATM. Yeah, yeah. Of right. him. Yes, right. because exactly. Of him. Because That's of right. him. Um, the kids have started an actually supportive anti-ATN <laughs> group. I mean, which I could totally <laughs> picture that happening because I don't want her to suffer. But, uh, but you know, she's also like, if, if, if you'll recall, I believe she's South Asian. Um, so she's adopted and, uh, you know, it's, she's a, she, she's a brown person. So, um, they're really bringing all of the themes of that, specifically 2016 election, um, to the fore and Kendall's like, well, what are we going to do? You know, tell me exactly what happened. I'm going to, you know, I got to figure out what to, you know, how to behave, what to do. And then, and she's just like, um, he says to Rava, you have no idea the things I'm doing, the things I'm working on, six continents, I'm breaking my back and it's all for them to make the world safe. And Rava laughs because it was so laughable. Uh, This I think is one of those moments where you've seen Kendall like have feelings for his children. You've seen Kendall have feelings for the world. Right. And for ethics. I mean, where is he in this moment? I mean, Danielle, I've been reading your face on this Zoom video and you want to talk about the rage. I mean, I literally screamed into a pillow during this scene. I was so angry. The audacity of this person. um, It's just it really triggered every bad interaction I've ever had with a man in my entire life. (laughs) Where I'm just like, where were you? You weren't doing anything. You were actively working against me. And now you're mad at me because it's not going the way that you want when you weren't doing anything. Um, I think I just thought Rava's performance was incredible. And you just saw that frustration on her face. I also just like you could just read it of her just like. Never mind, I should have just never even told him that our daughter is getting yes. harassed on the street because he's so he's so messed up that he can't respond with compassion. He only is responding with defense and punishment. Um, I just I thought it was a brilliant way to open the episode. And I think it, it really, from an emotional point of view, it really set me up to hate everyone for the rest of the episode. Like <laughs> I, I think it was just like any empathy I had would just like was like drained from the gas tank. Um so yeah, I thought it was an incredible. Can I scene. say? Can I say something as a parent? Not to like, you know the, you guys know that I can fucking, like I can like look at like Pol Pot and be like, but you know he had some good quality. Like I don't know why I do this, but <laughs> but Kendall. Now, as a parent, when you're failing as a parent, and you mm. deep down know that you're failing as a parent, one of the things that you do is you say stuff like that. Where you're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 I'm not actually failing as a parent. What I'm doing is I'm working so hard at not seeing them um, so that <laughs> I can make the world a better place. And I mean, you know, it's obviously I've done I feel like I've done this kind of thing because I have to leave my daughter all the time. I'm in a weird business. This business is brutal for parents. And. I, I mean, many businesses are brutal, you know, whatever, like well, economics is brutal for parents. Um, And so I think, you know, I, I not I get I get a little bit where that's coming from, because I do. He does love his children. Right. We saw at his birthday when they when she when Rava said the kids left you something. It's in the gift room or whatever. And he like nearly destroyed the gift room trying to find it and couldn't find it like I. I understand those feelings. It is not it is not a perfect love and it is not even a useful love. But 
there is love, right? And there's pain. So I will just say in Kendall's defense that for whatever reason, <laughs> I feel the need to make... I will just say that. Danielle, what were you going to say? Um, I'm going to do the opposite of defending Kendall here. I think you're <laughs> going to be shocked to learn, McGean. Um, you know, a, a few, first of all, I agree. This is a brilliant start to the episode. And if you'll notice filmically, the very first thing we see in this episode is um, the hands of uh, some kind of servant. We don't know who that person is. And they're creating a tray that's going to shiv. We see repeatedly through the episode these inserts of servants' hands preparing mm. food and taking food. It's actually the closest the camera gets to humans in this episode. And mm. I think it relates to this first conversation. Think about where the three of us were the day before the election in 2016. It was a horrible day in our lives and in the country. We were, I don't want to speak for shade. We, this is our first time meeting, but I'm going to just vaguely guess not a great day for everybody here. The tension, the sense of potential loss, the fear of white nationalism becoming codified in this country at the highest levels, all of that is happening on this day. But the closest Kendall is going to feel any of that is this story about his daughter, a person we have not seen him in a sequence with since he was quasi-drowning in Italy, right? So we've not even seen them on screen together. The closest he's going to feel the terror, the racism, the bigotry of this day is that brief interaction in the morning. And that's it. You know, for most of this episode, this is a room with the, apparently the 40 most uh, powerful people in America. We know some of them are Democrats, right? The level of sort of jocular lightness with which they are joking about the outcome of this election. The people who will actually be impacted are people like someone's daughter who's a person of color, Kendall's. The people who are holding all of these trays at this party whose faces we don't really get to see. Those are the humans that are going to be severely and violently impacted if a white nationalist becomes president. But Kendall doesn't view it that way because Kendall doesn't experience it that way. He's too protected in his car to private plane, right? So this is the closest he's going to get the entire time of even feeling a whiff of the terror of this political moment. Um, and it's through his daughter, and he fails it entirely. I thought it was not only an indictment of him as a father, but an indictment of him as a political macher in this yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's part – my rage was partly because, like, shitty dads always give me rage. Long yeah. story. Yeah. But also <laughs> because um, for all of us to feel the consequences of what's happening so deeply and for these people for it to be mostly a joke with kettle corn and funny bits – um, I really found that repugnant, disgusting, and truthful. Um, let's talk about another repugnant, disgusting, and truthful um, uh, <laughs> relationship, uh, which is that between Roman and Jerry. They have what seems to be their final skirmish. Uh, Roman seems very quite lonely. Like he had Jerry before. Jerry was a bit of a bedrock. And she shows up, and it's funny because um, Jerry walks in and Roman Caesar and says to Frank, oh, you smoothed it over, right, General Franco? And Frank says, no, she's incredibly angry. And that's just kind of like how we live it. And, and so, you know, I think this is one of those moments, too, where Roman is sort of like, I get to push the envelope and push it and push it and, and, and upset people and be disgusting and be disgusting and be repugnant and and people will come back to me and here Jerry is saying I will not come back to you mm. and you can sort of see the life drain out of his face like realizing that um, because he had this motherly 
sexual dick pic sharing relationship with her with a person who was who was tender to him in a way um shane were you i mean i was pouring one out for i really wanted you know in the way that i want characters to end up in a rom-com i did want to see jerry and roman run away together and live in a beautiful um little uh you know hut in uh, mallorca me Two, <laughs> specifically <laughs> one that has all the facilities for all their role playing. One where yes, she there's a yes. there's a full, oh, so a full sweet. private school classroom, and she's got a million plaid skirts, and you know, just, <laughs> um, she can dress up like Mother Goose, and he can be one of her little fairy, you know, just all yeah. of it. No, Bring us there, yes. From, from a narrative point of view, I just thought it was um, it was brilliant because it did occur to me when I was watching it. I was like, there's basically no one else on the planet that can set a boundary for, for Roman besides Jerry. And so the fact that they really pushed it to where she set a boundary, I thought was incredible. Um, Jerry is such a, I mean, it's, it's boring to even say it. What a great character. Like all these are great characters, but I find Jerry to be one of the most fascinating characters on the show. Just like the level of, um, tirelessness and exhaustion and exasperation and wisdom and avarice, just all of it like together. I, her, her essentially, I mean, you could call it a extortion. I would say it's just her collecting what's hers <laughs> in this case, but right. her just, just being like, no, this, you're going to give me tons of money or I'm going to ruin you. And her final line of like, I could have given it to you. Like we could have, like we could have secretly, wanked together Painful. for the rest of our lives <laughs> yes. and you could have been the CEO. Yes. Also, just a word about Roman. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this because on the show, I'm, a, I'm one of those gay people where I'm always just like, okay, where's the gay person? Um, and I was like, there are no LGBT people on the show. And I was like, what an act of allyship on the creators of this show to leave LGBT people out of this narrative altogether. I was like, usually usually representation, allyship works where you're like, add the representation. But I'm like, thank you for leaving us out of this. Although I will say, I wish that there were like a Peter Thiel character on this show. I think that that would have been really great. Oh, that would have been great. One of the most. Although Mankin, Mankin? It, it, it just the Justin Kirk character is a little. I mean, I don't actually. Do, I don't remember very much well, about I would, his backstory, I would, I would but want, he's a little bit of the Peter Thiel character, maybe. I, yeah, I guess I would say just someone like behind the, a gay, a gay fragile An person pumping person, tons yeah. of money into right. other people's things. I yeah, think would be yeah, really yeah. Right. However, w- regarding Roman, because I kept thinking about it. In real life, if this were a real life story, I, I'm not really familiar with the the 1% or really this is like the what, 0.25% or something. Right. But right. I'm like, Roman would have tons of trans women that he has treated horribly in his wake. He's just got the personality of someone who would have, um, who had, have done that. And you know what? I'm really grateful that they left that narrative entirely out of this, even though I'm sure there's an off screen world where like people are being treated even worse than we're seeing. And I'm oh, just sure. so grateful that gay people were just left out of this conversation altogether. Like Taylor Swift <laughs> asked, you know, just, I'd really like to not be a part of this conversation and we're not. It's so good. <laughs> um, can we talk about Matson? Now there's a couple things to say about Matson, but one is he fucking takes a dump on at New York City. He says, only in New York. Um, oh, you, like he's talking to Kendall, like you think oh, the, the, this is sort of an only in New York thing. Like only in New York, nothing happens in New York that doesn't happen anywhere. And I was like, 
fuck you, Madsen. Do not talk about my boyfriend like that. Only I can talk about my boyfriend like that. Also, what is that fucking jacket? I want to vomit all over it. It is the worst. You're disgusting. You don't even code. You don't even code. Get the fuck out of here. Um, so, t- so talk to me, Danielle, about Madsen. Well, first of all, this jacket deserves a supporting actor <laughs> award of some kind. Let's t- can we take a moment to just honor whoever does costuming on this show? This man walks in wearing yes. a garment that I can only describe as appropriate for a B-level cinema tech somewhere where Connor would be sent to be an ambassador. Okay? <laughs> this is... This is not a great garment. And you'll notice it's the only garment in the room that has texture and is like goldish yes. in its tone. So our eye always goes to him. Ugh. It's a brilliant character yeah. moment in decision and it's a brilliant sort of visual decision. Matson is such a fucking piece of shit. You know, one of the things that I loved about this episode is the choice, and it's clearly a choice on the writer's part, to have him and his crew enter the room during a moment of silence great. for Logan. So is there any better way to communicate who is sort of taking up that space, right? But, you know, to connect this to what we're just talking about with Jerry, um, I, there's so many reasons to dislike Madsen. We frankly don't have the time on this podcast. There's so many reasons. But, <laughs> but let's talk about the treatment of women just at this party, just in these few hours, right? Jerry, easily one of the most capable people in the room, um, has to blackmail her way into some kind of financial ascendancy because of the dick pics that she's been sent. We have the Roy brothers pretending to have sympathy and concern for Ebba's sexual harassment at the hands of Matson, right? When we, they both know what Roman's been doing for a very long time. And so, and Shiv, the person who's trying to kind of play both sides and find a good space for herself, finds out at the end that not only is she being left out of decisions by her brothers, which we've known for a while, but also Matson's whole thing is kind of a magic trick with nothing behind it. The numbers in India are false. So she has nowhere to safely land. Those are the three main women whose stories arcs we follow in this party. I feel like this show gets misogyny amongst the 0.2% so correct and so right in its particular flavor. And in that moment with Madsen, where he's joking, quote unquote, about firing Ebba in the room, even though this is a party none of us has been to, as I've talked about before, I'm in the 1%, but not not where these guys are. You know, This is a different world from the one I grew up in. None of us have been to a party like this, but man, do I believe that women get routinely humiliated the way Ebba's being humiliated in that living room. Um, so on top of everything else, Matson's casual and ubiquitous misogyny just makes me want to punch him in the fucking face. I guess that's my 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 heartbeat response, <laughs> Nagin. First blush. Um, Shane Matson. I mean, in it, in it. What's also interesting though is that Matson. It's I love the this 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 fraying of him, where mm. at first he's sort of presented as the future. He's brilliant. He did this. He did that. And that's you know, and that's kind of like how we met Elon Musk. What a fucking brilliant guy. He did everything. <laughs> oh, he didn't actually invent the thing. Oh, okay. And then, oh, and then there's these other. Friends. Oh, he's actually like oh, and this Twitter thing. You know, it's like little by oh, and then he does write these crazy fucking tweets. Oh, and they get you know, like it's there's these just little things, little by little by little by little that break down this person till you realize, oh, they're fucking not a god at all. And if anything, um, they're 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 actually quite unskilled. Um, Shane, does Matson still 
have it? Like, is he still gonna? Do you think he's still gonna win this comp this race? Oh God, I I am loath to predict anything. Um, but no, I mean, I think the short answer is no. That they're finding out that it's a house of cards. I guess my big takeaway from Madsen on this episode is sort of the way I always feel about Chiv, where I'm just like. She's very good at using the men around her as pawns to get what she needs because she can't be the queen, as it were, in chess and just sort of, like, make her own moves. But it's one more reason where I'm just like, girl, just, like, start your own media company and, like, girl boss gatekeep. Like, do your own thing. Like, you don't need these men. But she's just, like, she's just reliving this trauma in everything she does where she feels like she can't do anything without the approval and, you know, manipulation of these men. I would just love for her to leave her brothers high and dry and say good luck running this company and uh, to absolutely leave Madsen in his own um, Norwegian treehouse and just sort of, like, do her own thing. Um, But that was what I found was, like, like one of the... One of the sadder parts of this episode was I was like, Shiv, who, you know, Jerry, I think we can all agree, is the most capable person in this universe. Shiv's like a close third or fourth. I mean, she's really savvy and really yeah. smart. And yet yeah. she still feels the need to, like, the only the only path forward she sees is, like, manipulating the men around her to get what she wants. And I'm just like, girl, remove I, yourself. I feel like Leave the could, conversation. If she had taken, right, if she had taken the Connor route, she would have, instead of having, a like, a compound in Arizona called Ausch... What is it called? Austerlitz. <laughs> Almost at Auschwitz, which you know. Yeah, I really. Close. I heard Auschwitz coming. I know. Then. I know. Yeah. Austerlitz. Um, uh, she she would have maybe done something smart. You she know, would have started um, like Bustle 2.0. It would exactly. have had a good few years. Exactly. It would have failed. That's right. And then she That's would have right. done TED Talks for the rest of her life, written three books, and like, you know, had a great life. Yes. Yep. I And what, and and I just want to point out a really funny um, line that Madsen said, because basically, you know, he's being coached by Shiv, and he goes, oh, I get it. Don't scream. Pe- don't scream people are data and stick my dick in the guac. And she's like, <laughs> 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 yes, don't do that. But and she, she says, you know, but you're doing good out there. You're like a self-teaching AI, another really great line um, from Shiv. Now, we just want to close on this. We, I mean, again, this is one of those situations where we could talk about succession, the three of us, for the rest of our lives. But yes. sadly, we do yes. have to end the podcast. And I want to end it on the scene with Kendall and Frank. Kendall is wants to go reverse Viking, um, acquire Gojo, and fuck over his sibs. Obviously, they've all been fucking each other over to certain degrees i mean minus roman roman isn't it's a it roman is just so sad in this episode to me kendall like seems to be continuing to hold his own he kind of killed it on the living plus thing now he's out here he had that little uh exchange with madsen and honestly like i don't know that madsen came out on top of that it it, you know it was a draw or kendall came out on top of that little exchange um, and now he's he's going reverse Viking. What do you think? Where where is Kendall, Danielle? You no, know, I think Kendall's belief in Kendall is one of the most inspiring relationships <laughs> in this program. <laughs> um, what's amazing to me is how many times Kendall, with those crazy Kendall eyes, gets Frank privately and says, "Let's blow up the ship." And how many times Frank says, "Okay, I guess so." That's worked out zero times. Zero times. Right. So like if the pattern of the show is teaching us, then my guess would be this is not going to go well. But the sentence from that exchange that I really um, underlined and wanted to talk about is bigger than dad ever was. To go back to sort of my basic enmeshment premise about what happens in wealth culture, 
these people are not thinking about the bottom line. They're certainly not thinking about shareholders. They're, not, they're definitely not thinking about democracy. They're thinking about, if I may get crass for a moment, was daddy's dick bigger or can my dick be bigger? That's yeah. really fundamentally what this comes down to. And when that's combined with this amount of power, that's really terrifying. I think what Kendall is revealing here is that his grief process is one of trying to replace who was on the throne rather than look carefully at the system and say, do I want this system? You know, in that moment when he's trying to pitch Nate on regulatory stuff and Nate says, hey, you're not Logan and I'm not Gil and that's a good thing. Nate is saying to him, we don't have to be these guys. Yeah. We could actually change this landscape. Kendall doesn't have the capacity to hear that. There's smaller than daddy and there's bigger than daddy. So he will do anything to get to the ladder. That's what I was hearing in this final conversation. And all I can say to Frank is run for your fucking life, Frank. <laughs> well, also, it's never Frank, worked out. what are you doing? Like Frank and Jerry and oh, the other one. What's the other Carl. one? Carl. Carl. I, I've said, I mean, I've said this before, like, guys, are you guys, it's, you're rich. It's fine. Just, like, quit. Why does Jerry even want to stay? Why does Jerry care that she's not yeah. on the kill list? Get out. Who cares? Like, you're, it's cool. You did it. I mean, you're rich. I but, but, never, but Nikki, I the, don't get it. The word enough is cultural yeah. right, as much right, as it's any. Right, right, right. In this Absolutely. culture, the word enough doesn't exist. That's right, why. Right. And you know, again, and 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 I think speaking as someone who has my own little issues as like an accolade whore, um, as like an <laughs> like as an achievement obsessive, I also, I mean, I get it, you know. I get well, it. Let me and just I tell you, Nagin, you are yes. great and you did it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I could not agree more. Yes. Um, all right. Well, do we have any final, final thoughts? Because we have to wrap it up. Uh, just last, when we're talking about Kendall, I think it's such a good representation of addiction in that, like, I'm viewing this as a season of him in a maintenance phase where I imagine him doing all the addict math off camera of, like, well, if I just have three drinks at this party, I'll be fine. And then blah, blah, blah. But... His fundamental addiction is chaos, and that's just what I see all the time. Yeah. And that's what I saw with this thing with yes. Frank, where it's like he could be running things perfectly. It could be the most successful company in the world, and he would find a way to blow it up because that's what his real that's what vice, he likes. His real right. vice is chaos. Well said. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Final, final thoughts, Danielle? You know, I was just really struck that the episode ended on Tom's face. Yes. and. The fact that, you know, we'd finally see Tom scream at someone in a self-advocating way, my new shitty prediction, because as you know, Nagin, they never come true. <laughs> my new shitty prediction is that Tom fucks over this whole family and tries to take it in the last few episodes because yes. he's come to realize there is no one there in his corner. So it's blow it up or death. Um, also, I want to give ourselves a pat on the back because I do believe we talked about the idea of, you know, Connor having some sort of percentage and that being playing a role in the election, which ha it already has. Um, also, one of my favorite lines is when when Willa asks about Oman and like whether the compound would be <laughs> above ground. <laughs> but also but but that also Connor's like you'll get diplomatic immunity. You could park on you could drive on the sidewalk. And she said running people over is not a selling point. <laughs> um 
which again, a uh, little just moments of humanity in there. Just a reminder um, that it's not, you know, that that's not a selling point. Folks, this was such a phenomenal recap episode. I would love for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do. Danielle, where do they do that? I love being here with you guys. Uh, my, you can find me at daniellederschlag.com, my website, and on Instagram, I'm at ddurch, which is D-D-U-R-C-H. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. And Shane, where do they find you? I am on Instagram as Shane Island. And uh, yeah, tell me what you thought. Tell me, I want the, the queers and the addicts to talk to me. Those are my people. Yes. Yes. Specifically queers and addicts. Reach out to Shane and all of us <laughs> and we're here to support you. Um, I am, uh, you know where to find me on all of the things. And I want to thank our wonderful producer, um, Andrew McGuire, and our wonderful theme music, which is Fake the Nation, inspired by Succession, <laughs> was written by Gavi Alter. Um, and folks, your regular episode of Fake the Nation will be in your feed on Thursday, so don't forget about that. If you have any thoughts, people have really enjoyed this recap. So if you have any thoughts of other shows that I should be recapping, please hit me up. You can do that at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find me on all the things. We've been getting some votes for beef, interestingly. Um, so let me know. What do you think? Um, you know, we will uh, sort of probably maybe gently keep this going um for other shows because we've had such a fun time doing it and and um you know people have really been fired up about um about the takes um so thank you so much to everyone at headgum for making this show a possibility and we will be back in your earballs on thursday that was a headgum podcast